If you didn't get it, you're doing well. If you got it, you're in trouble. (laughs) I want to talk this morning on a subject that's brought up there in John chapter 18, as well as many other places. Pilate asks a question, what is truth? He had truth staring him in the eye. And he had to ask the question, what is truth? According to the world, there are many truths today. But I want to talk this morning, not on the subject of truth, but on the subject of absolute truth. So I'm going to ask you, to put on your thinking caps with me and follow along. I don't want to talk over your head. I hope I don't. My prayer is that how I reveal this to you will be understandable to you as well. That's always my prayer because one of the major things in my life when I first started preaching, I had a secretary gave me a little plaque, and I think I've shared this with you before, and it said something like this, not something, but exactly this. I know that you believe that you understand what it is you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. I want to make sure that what you hear is what I mean and what God's Word has to say. Truth comes in different forms, according to the world. And gentlemen, I'm going to step all over you, and I'm going to get some ladies on my side this morning by sharing a few truths that men hold Because men will sometimes say one thing, but they actually mean another. And this is a little bit of humor that I want to uh, insert here, if I may. When a husband says, honey, what color is this? (laughs) What he means is, men only see 16 colors, like Windows default settings. Peach is a fruit, not a color. Pumpkin is a fruit, not a color. Periwinkle, I thought that was a cousin to Bullwinkle. If your husband says, it's a guy thing, what he means is, there's no rational way of me making this logical. When a man says, honey, can I help with dinner? What he's really saying is, why isn't it on the table already? When a man says, sure, honey, yes, dear, what he's really saying is, well, absolutely nothing. That's just a conditioned response. When a man says, it would really take too long to explain, what he really means is, I have no idea how this works. When a man says, honey, take a break, you're you're working way too hard. What he means is, I can't hear the TV over the vacuum cleaner. When a man says, that's interesting, dear, what he's really saying is, you're still talking? And one of my favorites, when a man says, you know how bad my memory is, what he's really saying is, I remember the theme song to Gilligan's Island. I remember the address of the first girl I ever kissed. I remember the VIN number of every vehicle I've ever known, but when's your birthday? 
When a man says, don't fuss, I just cut myself a little bit, it's no big deal. What he's really saying is, I severed a finger, and I'm not going to admit to you that it hurts. I'll bleed to death first. A doctor, I don't need a doctor. Give me the sewing kit, I'll do it myself. When a man says, I can't find it. What he's really saying is, it didn't drop in my hands out of the sky, so I have no idea where it is, dear. I can't find it. When a man says, I heard you, what he's really saying is, I haven't the foggiest idea what you're talking about, and I hope I can fake my way through this enough that you're not upset at me for the next three days. When a man says, I could never love anyone like I love you. What he's really saying is, I'm used to the way you yell at me, and I know it could be worse. I heard a huh over here. Anyway, when a man says, I'm not lost, I know exactly where we are. What he's saying is, they'll never find our bodies alive. We're not going to make it through this at all. I know exactly where we are. What is truth? When we speak of truth today, truth sometimes becomes what we want it to be at the moment. We know how the world believes. The world holds to the idea that that truth is whatever your situation is at the moment. And what you hold to because of what society has has told you, has taught you. And we find that society's morality is based on anyone's point of view, which ends up being completely and absolutely confused and unable to condemn even the most evil of acts that man can commit. Why? Because in the eyes of the world... No one has the right to condemn another person's thinking, their actions, their belief, or even their religion. No one can condemn that. That's what the world says. I don't want to follow the world, do you? The Word of God, by contrast, always, always, always maintains that there is absolute truth. And that we will be judged by that absolute truth when we die, leave this world, and stand before a holy God. In Jeremiah 5.1, Jeremiah, or God gave Jeremiah an order here that I want you to see. And we could bring that up here to Aurora, Lawrenceburg, Rising Sun, and every other area around here. We could place this very same saying right here. In Jeremiah 5.1, God ordered Jeremiah to go up and down the streets of Jerusalem, look around and consider, search through her squares. If you can find one person who deals honestly and seeks what? The truth. I will forgive Jerusalem. If you can find one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth. You see, I find here that God believes in absolute truth. Not a truth, but absolute truth. And in fact, it seems to me, 
as I have read through the scriptures for many, many years, not just the 35 or 36 I've been preaching, or wanting to preach anyway, that God believes in absolute truth, and we cannot worship God honestly in His eyes unless we hold to absolute truth. Did you hear that? We cannot worship God honestly from His point of view unless we do it with His absolute truth. Jesus said in John 4.23, a time is coming and has now come, He says, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. I find in our world today there are far too many who worship in spirit, quotation marks there, and they will get a good feeling up and down their spine because they have a song or somebody said something that just made them feel so good because of what they already hold to in their life. But there is no truth many times that they will listen to or hold to on the side or on the top of that. Truth is important. I think you would agree with me that truth is absolutely important. If you ask me a question, what do you want? A lie? You want me to lie? Anybody want me to lie to you? Raise your hand. Good. What's that? <laughs> I'm not talking to him anymore. Uh, uh, but you don't want to lie. You want the truth from me. Uh, if truth is important, and we all agree that it is, except for Steve, <laughs> but we all agree that truth is, is important, where do I find this truth? Where do I find absolute truth? Well, let me give you a few studies, I guess, from our world. Here in America, studies have been done, and the majority of people in this country who took this poll anyway, the majority of people in this country believe that all religions will lead ultimately to the very same God. All religions will lead to the very same God. You are just on a different path than I am, they say. All religions lead to the same higher being, and, and there are different ways of getting to God, and the general consensus is that God reveals himself in all religious traditions, ideas, or mandates. Whether it's Hindu, Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, or many, many others. They're all different truths that are offered by the very same God. This is what the world believes. Now on the surface, that might sound like it's very tolerant that we just need to toler tolerate other people who believe differently than, than we do. The problem is not that people believe different than I do or different than you do. The problem is that people believe different than the standard, which is the Word of God, God Himself. The general consensus is that we need to be open-minded. And personally, I don't mind being open-minded. And I was sharing this with someone earlier this morning. I don't mind being open-minded, but I will not go to the point that my open-mindedness causes my brain to fall out on the floor. 
And I find that the world's teaching today far too many times is brains on the floor kind of thinking. There's no logic. There is no reasoning. They only come to a point. They will state their case and they will walk away. What did Pilate do? What is truth? And he walked out the door. He had his truth. He really didn't want truth. He said, you do with him whatever you want. This theology that's in our world today that all religions are equal is called moral relativism. Moral relativism, and they apply this to God. That is, what is true is relative to what you believe, and you can change your thinking on a daily basis and still hold to your truth. You can change that every week because the media tells you one thing and you now change your thinking because, hmm, that sounds good. So we change our thinking. We change our logic. We change it on a daily basis like we change our socks, our t-shirt. But 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says something here by way of God's Holy Spirit. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always, always, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. What I find today, my friend, is it's not enough. It's not enough for us to, to sit in a worship service. It's not enough for us to have our name on a, a roll book somewhere in the library or the archives of the church. A lazy man can go to church, can't they, ladies? Careful, Mark. A lazy man can have his name written on the roll book of the church. But my friend, according to the Word of God, a man of God, a man of faith in Jesus Christ can stand at any moment... No matter where he is, he can stand at any moment and give a reason, a defense of the gospel and why he goes where he goes to worship. But far too many people cannot do that. I hope that you're able to do that. If somebody uh, attacks you, I want to say, in the workplace, I hope you're able to come back and say, God's word says this. God's word says that. And here's where you can find it. Maybe you even pull a Bible out of your pocket and say, look here, let me show you what God says. And we all have a phone with a Bible app on it. We can certainly look it up real quick and let them see what it has to say. There are many religions in this world. I want to share very quickly just a few of those and what it is they hold to in, in uh, life even today. Eastern religions which include at least these three, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, they have a very impersonal deity that they hold to. It is pantheistic, which is everything is God. So we honor everything. We worship everything and anything that comes along. But there is no afterlife, no concept whatsoever in their teachings about an afterlife. Hinduism is a, a, an impersonal deity, again, they are polytheistic, that is, you have many different gods from which you can choose. You pick the one you want, and tomorrow if you don't like that one, you can choose another. And then you can just take the round table and do whatever you will. Then there's Islam. 
Islam has an impersonal deity as well. They are monotheistic, that is, they have one God. Eternal life is something they say that is earned, and if you read any of their book, it is earned by destroying the infidel, and that includes you and me. And then we have Judaism. Judaism is a personal deity, monotheistic, that is one God, and eternal life is something that's earned through works and effort. Christianity, however, is completely different from at least the first three. It is a personal deity. It is a monotheistic. That is, we serve one true living God. Eternal life is a gift given by God through Jesus Christ by loving obedience to what He has said His truth. If God reveals himself through all the world's religions, we're left, with, we're left with two options as to the character of this God who is out there somewhere. One man said these words, If pluralism is true, God is either a liar or schizophrenic. The differences are too deep to conclude that all religions lead to the same destination. I suspect, he says, that people who support such a view have never really examined where the different faiths, faith groups diverge. A God who would devise such a system where all religions are acceptable is either one, a liar, because he's telling this group one thing, this group another thing, this group something else, and this group something else, and there are countless others that he tells something different to as well. So he's either a liar, first of all, or he's schizophrenic. And I like this one, this thought that this guy has. He says he has a multiple personality disorder. In other words, God has brain damage. Now let that cross your brain and see how it fits. Our God has brain damage. One day he's Shiva, who is the destroyer. Another day he's Brahma, a very impersonal force that just flows through the universe. And the God you get depends on the day you bump into him. And this is why people have bad days, because they happen to bump into the wrong God. And tomorrow they'll have a better day because a different God comes along and they have a peaceful day. This is the thinking of the world. With all that said, I hope you can see that it is inconsistent, not logical, for a person to believe that all religions will lead to the very same God. It would be impossible. So if I can't get absolute truth from any religion or any group or any any. Uh, uh, organization that comes down the pike that has a good thing to say or, or makes me feel comfortable and welcome. Where do I go for this absolute truth? Where can I find it? Well, I find it encouraging, first of all, that you came here this morning to the Church of Christ at Pleasant Ridge, Indiana. And you might have an idea of where I'm going to go with this in your own mind. I hope you do. But I'm going to choose John chapter 1, verse 17, where Jesus says there, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words, God's grace, God's truth, that is, if, a, all, if we all lead to the same God, he has said that his grace and truth comes by way of 
this prophet and that prophet and that man and that group and this religion. No, it came by one person. It came by way of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this may be why, this may be why Jesus uses the, the phrase in the Gospels, I tell you the truth. And if I counted correctly, not just that phrase, but others that are very close to it, Jesus used that phrase or something similar to it 76 times in four Gospels. How important it is for someone to say, I tell you the truth. I've heard people on Judge Judy say, can I be honest with you, Judge Judy? She'll say sarcastically, no, I want you to lie to me. We don't want to lie. I want God's truth and God's truth alone. I tell you the truth. And it's little wonder that Matthew chapter 7 verses 28 and 29 says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, speaking of the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished or amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not like one of the scribes of the law. He taught as one who had authority. It wasn't as though he had authority. My friend, he has the authority. And it is only his authority that will get us from this life to the next one in heaven. When I was, I was communicating, uh, uh, it has to be eight or ten years ago, somebody handed a guy to me from, it was either South Africa or, uh, Africa or South America, I don't know which country it was, but he got tired of dealing with this guy, so he kind of handed him over to me, and I began to communicate with this guy back and forth online, and uh, through emails, he said these words, how do you know that your Jesus has any advantage over the founders of other religions? How do you know that your Jesus, and oh, I appreciated that, he is my Jesus, is he yours? He should be. How do you know your Jesus has any advantage over any other God? The simplest answer is the Bible says so. The simplest answer is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The simplest answer is Peter said in Acts 4.12, Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the simple answer. The Bible says so, so we must believe what it says. But this guy didn't want simplicity. He wanted something a little deeper. And I was, I was digging and researching to give him a better answer. This was the more involved answer I gave him, at least in part. I did something else, but I won't go into that today. I told him, I said, Jesus has credentials. Jesus Christ has credentials even from historical records of people who are not Christian. He has, his, he has credentials that no other prophet or, or leader or false god ever claimed to have. And this is the answer that we find in John 5.31 and following. I'm not going to read all of that. I want you to see what Jesus says are his own credentials. John chapter 5, verse 31 and following. Let me give you a couple of examples here. You all have heard of Buddha, the guy that has the big belly. Not your preacher, not even close. But Buddha, 
lived approximately 500 years before Christ was ever born, conceived. Buddha came up with a few good things, a few good teachings, and they began to write these down. And some other people around him, maybe for fear of being killed if they didn't accept this guy, he began to build a, a following. And a religion built up around this, and people began to follow him more and more and more, again, maybe afraid that their leaders would kill him if they didn't bow to their bail. But one thing's missing. There are no prophecies in history anywhere that Buddha would come 500 years before he was born, 1,000 years or 2,000 years before he was born, or that he would teach the things that he taught. And then we have Muhammad. Muhammad was born some 500 years after Christ was born. And again, he, he began to say some very good things and, and good teachings that people could accept. And people began to gather around him saying, I like what you have to say. He built a following. He built a religion that is so big today, it's even infected this country to some degree. But there's not one prophecy 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years before he was born, it said, he's coming. And he's going to teach these things. Nobody ever said somebody's coming. But when you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament as a whole says, somebody's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John says, somebody is here. And the epistles and Revelation say, you better be ready because he who was to come and who came is coming back. The Old Testament has over 300 prophecies concerning the Christ, the Messiah. 300 prophecies declaring somebody's coming. Somebody's going to teach us some great things. And those prophecies were thousands of years before he was ever conceived in Mary's womb. The Israelites were repeatedly told not only what this man would teach, but where he would be born and how he would die. Now this is important to me, and I, I hope this is important to you as well. One man, I don't remember his name, but he put together a calculation. He was a mathematician of sorts, far beyond me. I can only add two and two and get five every single time. But uh, he came up with calculations for just 10 prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. Just 10. And individually, he came up with these odds of them coming true. And we'll look at them as a whole here in just a couple minutes. The odds of him being born in Bethlehem was one in 200. The odds of him being born or being preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist, was 1 in 20. The odds of him being betrayed by a friend was 1 in 10. A lot of people were betrayed by their friend, the way it looks. The odds of his hands and feet being pierced was 1 in 100. The odds of him being wounded and whipped, 1 in 25. The odds of him being sold for 30 pieces of silver, one in 100. The odds of him being spit on and beaten to a pulp, one in 10. Must have been a lot of criminals back here at this time, and there were people who suffered. 
The odds of him being betrayed and the betrayal money thrown into the temple given for a potter's field was one in 200. The odds of him being silent before his accusers, one in 100. And the odds of him being crucified next to two thieves, one in 100. Those are the odds of each one individually happening to one man of which it was prophesied. But what if you put just those 10, just those 10, not all 300 plus, but just these 10 together. One man came up with this statistic that goes right along with what this guy said. For this to happen, one man to be prophesied about, and all of those things happened to that one man in the New Testament was one in one comma 157 zeros. Anybody have a bank account that looks like that? One in one comma 157 zeros. That's like me telling you, I want you to go down to the beach from Maine to Florida, Miami Beach, Florida, and there's one grain of sand that has my name on it. Go find it. And the odds of you finding that the first day astronomical you see it's nearly impossible the fact that Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies was the more involved answer for that atheist who I, who I was speaking to at the time but again one of the better answers or best answers that we might give is, is uh, the account of a Christian missionary who had befriended a Mohammedan where he was serving as a missionary and the Mohammedan one day wanted to try to impress him with the superiority of the Muslim religion and here's what he said he said when we go to Mecca we at least find a coffin with bones but when you Christians go to Jerusalem your Mecca he said you find nothing but an empty grave do you think that missionary walked away with, well, I don't know what I'm going to say here. He had a defense. He smiled and he said, that is just the difference, my friend. Muhammad, as you said, is dead. His bones are right there in that coffin, as well as all the other religious systems and philosophies. They are in their coffins. Their bones are still there. But he said, listen to me. Jesus Christ has risen, and all power in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Can I get an amen? I hope you hold to that. I hope you believe that. What is absolute truth? It comes down to three basic things for you to understand and for me to understand. Despite what the world says, you and I are sinners who cannot wash away our own sin by our own devices, by our own thinking, by praying on our knees or whipping ourselves for the next 20 years. We're sinners. Secondly, God loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. How much? He sent his son, number three. He sent his son. He sent his son with the purpose of somebody taking their fist and slapping him upside the head with it, ripping his beard out, 
pressing a crown of thorns on his head, whipping him with a scourge so that he just writhed in agony as every one of them came his way, 40 minus 1. God sent his son knowing he would go through that. Why did he do that? Not because he was an abusive father, as some hold to today, but because he loved you and me. He loves us that much. You can know so many facts about all the things this world teaches you. You can be what some people call a walking cyclopedia where they ask a question, you have some sort of an answer that you've learned from, and that's wonderful. But my friend, if you miss the one truth, the one truth that God offers salvation for the debt of sin that you owe on yourself, if you don't turn to Him, then you will not enjoy heaven and the eternity that we have there, but you will regret it for eternity. I see in Luke chapter 16, you can read that on your own, but it shows a picture of a man who fared well in this world. He had it going for him. He was wealthy. He had barns and, and he had wealth and he had, fa- he had lots of stuff in this world. But the Bible says he died. And there in hell, in Luke chapter 16, we find him concerned first for himself. But there was no fixing where he was. And then we find his concern goes back from where he is to, I have family up there. Oh, somebody send somebody to talk to them, to share with them, to win their soul because they're on the very same track I was when I was up there. My friend, you may have family that you know were not Christian. You may have associates from work. You may have neighbors. You may have people that you've honestly loved dearly, but you know now that they're not in heaven because their life was not based on absolute truth. And I believe that the strongest sermons ever preached are being preached even today in eternal hell by those people who are saying, somebody preach to my family. Somebody win their soul to Jesus Christ. Somebody take the effort, get off your lazy duff, and get to work for God. Salvation does not come by our point of view. Salvation does not come by yours, it does not come by mine, but salvation comes by God's point of view. And this is what we need to hold to. It depends on one thing above everything else. What will you do with Jesus Christ. There's a hymn in our songbooks. I believe it's number 301. I want to read this. I'm not going to sing it. If Vanessa would come up, I'd have her sing it, but I won't ask her to do that. But this is how that song goes. It's on page 301. You can see this for yourself. Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, friendless, forsaken, betrayed by all, Hearken what meaneth the sudden call. What will you do with Jesus? The second stanza says, Jesus is standing on trial still. You can be false to him if you will. You can be faithful through good or ill, but what will you do with Jesus? Will you evade him as Pilate tried? 
Or will you choose him? Excuse me. Or will you choose him whatever be tied? Or will you choose him whatever be tried? I'm sorry. Vainly you struggle from him to hide, but what will you do with Jesus? The last verse says, will you like Peter, your Lord, deny? Or will you scorn from his foes to fly? Daring for Jesus to live or die, what will you do with Jesus? And the chorus says this, Jesus, I give thee my heart today. Jesus, I'll follow you all the way. Gladly obeying thee, will you say, this I will do with Jesus. I'm sorry, the chorus says this, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? No person sitting here this morning, not one of us can be neutral. We cannot say, well, I'm not going to go with God. I'm not going to go with the devil. I'm just going to stay neutral. You have stated where you're headed. You have claimed your God because Satan wants you to be neutral. He wants you to do nothing. What will you do with Jesus? Someday you may be asking And I hope it's today, if I stay in my unrepentant state right now where I am, if I stay in a lazy man's religion of simply sitting and coming to for a few moments, what will he do with me? Shelby comes to play for us this morning. And I've asked a number of people this question in different situations in life. And I've always wanted that question to be one that causes them to truly think and see the reality of it. The question is, if you died today, where would you go? Based on absolute truth, where would you go? Well, I think I would go to heaven The Bible says you can know that, John 20, 31. You can know that. You can rely on what is written in this book to do what God says because God and Jesus Christ together are the absolute truth. And this is what this congregation, as long as I have any say in the elders, we're going to stand on absolute truth. Christian, if you need to make a decision of getting off your lazy self, rising to the occasion, stepping out and stepping up. All today is the best day you can do it because you're not promised tomorrow. God may give you the next five minutes, but after that, who knows what he will allow to come into your life. And if you're not a Christian, according to the scriptures, the Bible says very plainly, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to the point of obedience to what he has said. If you love me, keep my commandments. And he said, he that believes and is baptized shall then be saved. Not he that believes and is saved can be baptized sometime later. He that believes to the point of obedience and is baptized shall then be saved. Make a decision, be remorseful, and come to Christ this morning as we stand and sing.